Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, AMT's Technology Analyst. Awesome, Steve. How are you doing today? Awesome. Have you been... Great to be... Great to be on the pod. <laughs> I, love, yes. I do enjoy recording this every two weeks. It's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I was going to ask, uh, have you been to Denver, Colorado before? Uh, no, I have not. No? Um, it's actually, you know, Colorado. I don't know if I've ever been to Colorado, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I've been there before, but <laughs> as like a as like a layover. Sure. Um, that doesn't really count. But. You know, considering what's what's legal over there, you know, maybe I just forgot. But uh, I don't think I've been. I don't think I've been to Colorado. Yeah. So AMT hosted the uh, MT Forecast and MFG meeting in Denver. So a week long event. We combined two meetings, and I was there for um, forecast. Uh, so first time I've flown to Colorado. Uh, I haven't spent much time in the Midwest, and I think that's a, uh, a area I want to explore going forward. I spent a fair amount of time in Wichita. You know, they have a fairly big aerospace uh, section in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, that was, you know, previous work, but um, for vacations, all everything else, all, all of the travel has always been on the coast. So uh, it was it was a good time. It was fairly interesting that, you know, um, Denver's known to be or Colorado has been known to be in the mountains. So when we we're flying in, I was looking through the window, uh, nothing but cloud cover. It's like, oh, that, that should be fine. I should be able to see some mountain somewhere. Landed the first two, three days, didn't see any mountains at all. <laughs> that was fairly disappointing to saw. We're in the city, so we just saw skyscrapers and tall buildings everywhere, but no mountains yet. Didn't see any oh, mountains. Damn it. To, didn't see any mountains till uh, I think Thursday the sky cleared up, and then uh, to be honest, I only saw the mountains on the way driving back to the airport. <laughs> so that was a little bummer. Sure. Wow, that's that is surprising. Like you know, you'd think there'd be a lot more mountains, especially from all of my experience with Colorado from watching South Park over the years. <laughs> You know, you'd think there'd be more, but was it a fun time? It was. We had a great time. Uh, did, uh, did the miles for manufacturing run at uh, 645? Oh, you did? Yeah. Did a 5K run. Good for you. Pitch wow. dark. It was a well-organized event. We had um, uh, spot runners uh, making sure our pace was good because it was an open course, so they didn't have the roads closed off. But it was early enough where there weren't a lot of cars, so they would make sure traffic and all that was set up. Uh, so we did a fair amount of running. So it was, it was a good time to be running. Um, we ran faster than anticipated on the on the day of, but uh, <laughs> and the air air definitely got to us. We were uh, suffering a little bit, lungs yeah. were burning a bit. It was a little chilly, uh, but that that's one thing that caught me off guard is uh, being that high up. I definitely right. got lightheaded a few times. Just um, I, I felt okay once we got to like the lobby and stuff, but I was on the twentieth floor of the uh, hotel. Oh wow! So once I got up to that uh, height, my ears popped once in a while. But then once I got to the room, I was like, hmm. I definitely lightheaded once I got to the room a few times, but now I, I don't think I've ever experienced like, like thin air like that. Yeah. And you said lightheaded. Do you ever feel like short of breath or out of breath? Uh, I did not know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm acting like you climbed Everest <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> this is just Colorado. I mean, we ran, we ran a 5k, so I didn't feel like I was going to die and we could adjust our pace too. We weren't running, you know, world record pace we're running comfortable right. pace that we could maintain it but I, I don't think i think i feel acclimated fairly well i did look up altitude sickness just to see what symptoms i would have and they look pretty severe i was like i don't have any of these i did take advil but that's mainly mm -hmm. because i was drinking at night too for the next day <laughs> but we won't get into nicely that. done uh i didn't partake in any of the uh local smoking activities maybe next time 
<laughs> we'll save that for round two. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, it sounds like it was a great event. It was a great and, event. Uh, we covered a lot of good material about uh, forecasts for next year. And uh, it was very valuable to see uh, where the industry and economics are headed. So I definitely recommend yeah. uh, checking out for 22. Um, it's a good time of the year. It's later in the year. So you'll be able to incorporate that in your strategic planning for um, for the next year. You know, you know, it's crazy that you mention it. I think not necessarily for MT forecast, but this is the first year that they've actually, I think this is the first year that they've joined MT forecast and MFG together, but yeah. this is my second year actually missing out on MFG. Ah. And um, so, so it, it, I've only been to MT forecast a few times, but after they merged the two events, I definitely feel like, yeah, this was the uh, an event to go to. And I, I do definitely. feel like I have missed out, Yeah, but anyway, let me crack in some articles. Let's do it. Um, the first one, I typically like to avoid this uh, website. Um, <laughs> not to say anything bad about it, but they're typically not not uh, so manufacturing focused. But this in this one, this particular article isn't. But uh, I feel like it relates to us because the company in question is a new member mm -hmm. and. Um, it does pertain to something we've been talking about a lot lately, which is the chip shortage. But uh, the article from Yahoo Finance is NVIDIA promises fully self-driving cars with new NVIDIA drive tech. That's cool. NVIDIA being the new AMT member <laughs> that we like to highlight. Um, we get very excited talking about NVIDIA even before they were a member because, you know, GPUs and all of the rays tr being traced. Uh, but uh, it's it's really cool. You know, they don't pop up in the news too often. Well, when they do, it's usually about like the latest graphics card, but right. they don't pop up in the news too often, especially in the automotive industry when it comes to self-driving cars. And, you know, you typically think with self-driving cars, you hear, you think about Tesla autopilot, right. but uh, you know, who knows, maybe the next Teslas could have NVIDIA chips in them. Yeah. Probably not. That's a speculation. <laughs> it, it is interesting. I mean, uh, you know, the first thing you mentioned, uh, what, what people think about is when you mentioned NVIDIA is obviously graphics card and gaming solutions and consumer products. Right. But also, you know, they have workstation solutions. So if you have a, you know, high end CAD station, you probably have one of their, um, number crunching, uh, graphics cards. Cause they do very, very well yep. for floating point calculations. And, uh, now obviously, you know, they're trying to look at where those calculations can be applied, um, in other applications. So artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, those are very, very, uh, important applications. Absolutely. So when we look at kind of the data flow and manufacturing, being able to do those calculations on the edge feel more important than ever, as opposed to transmitting back to the server and then having the server crunch back and then send data back and forth. So, you know, between there's an interesting dilemma between, you know, the importance of higher bandwidth, you know, 5G is the big rage now, but I feel like yeah. there's also a shift towards number crunching at the edge where I can do it like on machine and have, you know, high power, uh, uh, calculations done right at the robot, right at the uh, CNC, as opposed to transmitting tons and tons of data. You know, you can transmit, you know, smaller versions or summaries for historical information. So I found that uh, fairly interesting. For sure. I, uh, I actually remember the first time I uh, toured the Autodesk West Coast Tech Center yep. in San Francisco on Pier 9. That was back in, I want to say like it wasn't 27. I think that was 2018, my first time there. Um, and it was so cool because I even took a picture of this 
<laughs> there was nobody at the desk that was working there um, at the moment, but I had to take a picture of how cool the computer was. Right. And it was, uh, I took a picture of it. It was this computer, a super computer that I learned uh, later, more than like a workstation um, uh, called a silver draft demon. Mm. And Inside it had like a, you know, the glass panel on the side, like all cool computers do. And no joke, it didn't just have like two NVIDIA graphics cards, like hooked up with SLI or NV link, but it had quad NVIDIA GPUs in there. And I just remember <laughs> thinking that that costs more than all of the computers I've ever had together, I am sure. And then later I come to later find out. Uh, as I'm being guided through the uh, not NVIDIA, Autodesk uh, West Coast Tech Center is that the person that works at that desk specifically with that computer um, does a lot of work with generative design. Right. So naturally. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm definitely very excited for, you know, their developments on the GPU side, but also uh, some of the tangential stuff. So we got faster RAM that's yeah. increasing. I really like the the pace of uh, Tumor. PCs. Who well, knows? The next time, uh, the next time you uh, shop for a car, you might be asking the salesperson, uh, "What kind of uh, GPU does this have? <laughs> is it AMD or NVIDIA?" <laughs> Get to choose. That's pretty cool. What kind of compute <laughs> unit? <laughs> I see. The, what do you have? The article I have is about uh, four critical considerations when selecting a robotic end effector <sighs> system. So this How is from. Is uh, a little more robust company than Yahoo Finance, but they do some good cool stuff. So, <laughs> so from uh, Robotics Tomorrow, uh, and they're talking about kind of outlining the thought process of how you go about selecting end effector. And I thought this is fairly important because everyone's focusing on obviously the arm or um, other means of automation, but how you interact with what you want to interact with. That's fairly important. And I, that does get kind of brush the side a little bit uh, on two layer, layers. One, I do feel like there's a more standardized uh, end of arm tooling. Um, mm -hmm. And also the interface between the robotic arm and end of arm tool tooling is becoming more standard too. So it's easier to um, mount different equipment there. Um, but they go over a couple of scenarios. One is uh, operating environment. So obviously, where in your factory are you using this? You know, is there a lot of coolant around? Is it clean? Are you, if you're planning on doing welding, you know, those are different type of environmental conditions that you're going to generate, or it's around right. the um, end of arm tooling, and that gets is it flipping burgers or frying <laughs> wings? <laughs> yeah. Based on past episodes, that's that's vital. That's 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 crucial to know, um, and that gets into you know the robustness and what type of end of arm tooling that's required. So if it's in a harsh environment, you're going to need different requirements than if it's in a much cleaner environment. And same with, you know, if you're picking up, um, uh, sheet, uh, sheet steel, right? How clean is that sheet steel? Are you picking up the plastic on that's on top of it or the raw material? Is there debris uh, on top? So I thought that was a first, um, interesting point. The other thing they get into is operating parameters uh, and they break it down into three areas. One is cycle time, weight and reach um so mm. cycle time is how fast you want it to you know uh, move through the process so uh, it kind of gets into you know do you have to wait for the vacuum pumps to cycle to attach it or it could use gotcha. magnets you know or can you use a gripper so those are you know incremental steps on understanding the cycle time also once mm -hmm. you pick it up right then you've got to move it around so it's in conjunction with the overall cycle time of how fast do you want the robot to move um, right. And another crucial point is weight, right? Everyone's focused on how much the robotic arm itself can support. But now I've got end of arm tooling that's got to support that same weight, right? So if I've got a, right. a suction cup that can only hold five pounds, but I've got a 20 pound uh, robotic arm, 
there might be a slight mismatch and it gets into um you know the point of maximizing your return on investment so you know i think previously we talked about um being more open more broad designing your robotic or automation system as in yeah you could design it for this one cell now and then potentially move it to another cell later so it's not locking down um a piece of automation may not be the best in all situations. So uh, consider over-designing it to allow more flexible uh, implementation later. Um, also reach, right? So you, know, you have your arm. Uh, how far can that arm go? But how how far do you need to extend it um, past that uh, arm and orientation for the end of arm tooling? Um, basically, in summary, that you know, operating parameters, what do you want it to do and how fast you want it to go? Right. Um, and, and a lot of scenarios, you know, if you're doing welding, it's fairly straightforward, right? You want to torch at the end of that, but also it gets into some, uh, additional components that you could incorporate. So if you're very, very specific task on, uh, the end of arm tooling, and that's consuming this entire cycle time, maybe including a second arm might make sense, or, you know, you could include a gripper or other, uh, secondary end effectors on the same robotic arm. So you could have pick it up, you could pick up the piece of, um, uh, material that you want to handle, place it, and then rotate around or swap it out potentially to a welding head and then uh, go through and process it. So I thought it was very interesting that it you know goes through operating environment, conditions, uh, parameters, and then um, and serial components. But in the end, right, you want to maximize your investment. So I think the idea of sure. understanding a, a bunch of potential scenarios and then over-designing the system a little bit so you do have some flexibility in moving around makes a lot of sense. Sure. Before I go on to our next, my next article, yep. I do want to mention another cool thing. I, I, I found an article uh, pertaining to end effectors uh, that I threw in this week's tech report. Okay. And um, it's about how, uh, you know, evolution may have designed, may have developed the perfect end effector, then it's the human hand. And how can we yeah. get this, this human hand on on robot arms? But uh, it's cool because I mean, you know, the human hand obviously isn't perfect for everything. Right. There have been cases where, like, let's say you get a piece of sheet steel that you mentioned before, and it has one of those thin layers of like plastic on it to protect it from you know oxidizing or whatever. And we've all tried to peel something like that off and you just can't get a grip. Right. Then, you know, I'm sure there's an end effector specifically designed for getting that kind of stuff off. Right. And it works so much better than the human hand. But anyway, I digress. Next article is a little bit fun because it's rather close to home. Um, Fast Company has an article titled Poop Sensors, Drones and Robots. <laughs> what automation looks like at the farm of the future. And I started reading this and I, of course I got enthralled by the fact that the first two words in the, uh, the, the article are poop sensors, but um, I got you. What's really cool is, and I say this is close to home because no joke, a, a short ride from the AMT office is Mount Vernon, George right. Washington's home, you know, effectively the first white house is what I like to call it. But uh you know, George Washington's home, it's, it's, it, Mount Vernon is still 
kept up really well. It's an awesome place if you haven't been there before. But um, my cousin, actually, uh, Olivia, she actually works at the farm every now and then. Um, she used to be full time there. She doesn't work so much. At the, she doesn't work full time anymore because um, she has other things going on. But uh, what's really cool is like I, I actually know somebody who works at this farm and it's never come up in passing yep. that they have started. I Obviously, this article just came out, but they've started implementing uh, agricultural drones. Well agricultural automation and what that means in this case is they've implemented drones um with i guess a vision software that is spots out uh excrement from all of the farm animals uh, on the plantation um so they can notify a worker to go clean and pick it up and remove it. And typically that uh, nobody cares about that on a farm, but when you have a farm that is, is in the spotlight, if you would, as uh, Mount Vernon, which is just across the water from DC, um, you have a lot of visitors hmm. on year round and you don't want your visitors in such a nice place, constantly stepping in poop. So that's, that's one of the ways that, um, they are implementing automation on that farm. And it was just really fun. That, and I'm going to have to talk to Olivia about it. And that is fascinating. Cause I, I do feel like agriculture is embracing a lot more autonomous slash automation. And it's weird because the, it's a big open area. It's not like you would consider or I can include like a robotic arm in a factory or I have a structure where I can attach a piece of automation equipment. They're like in the middle of nowhere, right? How do you, how do you go out and look for something like that? And, and that's where wireless right. communication gets really interesting. And they've made really big leaps on like the combines or tractors being able to basically have just a human sit in the car or in the vehicle to provide guidance, but the machine it's basically running itself. And then, uh, being able to bring in drones, which have been around for you know a couple of years, I feel like oil and gas have been using that uh, mm-hmm. drones for checking um, big long pipelines, also. So I feel like right this- in the aerospace industry too for yep. uh, non um, for for optical inspection, aerial optical inspection of like a fuselage where mm-hmm. somebody can't necessarily climb up to, or in the case of some planes, you don't want to climb on them, uh, so you need something aerial. And with a good enough inspection camera to see any defects. And in this case, it's probably a lot more difficult than the aerospace uh, use case, because unlike a nice smooth panel of fuselage, you know, we're talking (laughs) in a field. Can you spot the turd (laughs) from 30 feet up? You know, that's a fun, it's it's cool, man. Also the side tangent is, uh, I was watching an episode of Magic School Bus with my daughter, and this is exact, nice. this is the exact same scenario they talk, well, they went through. They have automated combines, and they had drones overhead. Obviously, they're looking at uh, different uh, fruits and produce to see if it's ripe enough. But the idea of this fully automated—no, not fully automated, but you know—you could run a farm basically with one or two people, which that's pretty awesome. That's so, nuts. Yeah. Yeah. The next article I have is about uh, new carbon fiber composite can be healed using heat. Uh, this is from Slashgear. Wow. Now, that's fairly interesting where the Slashgear is fun. The problem statement that they're trying to solve is there's a ton of carbon fiber components that are ending up in landfills. So like giant windmills. So these are massive structures also that they don't fully know what to do when they start getting towards the end of life. And there's there's a we'll call it trash problem, right? They're they're uh, they're reaching end of life, uh, I don't say sooner, but 
they're they have a finite uh life cycle and the their what this university is looking to do is um extend their life significantly longer or try and repurpose that so we did talk about um uh opportunities to kind of break up the carbon fiber and reuse that in the past um and this is another look at kind of extending the life so less material makes it up, makes it in the landfill so what they're doing is they have um what's called v um c f r p um what's it called vitamers vitamers um carbon fiber reinforced polymers and the idea is that they're trying to find a middle ground between thermal set and um uh, uh, uh thermoplastics where obviously the thermoplastics are stronger but the thermoset uh type of uh reinforced polymers are a little bit weaker um but they're more resilient so they're trying to find this middle ground where um but you also have to be careful because thermoset plastics aren't recyclable exactly exactly so they're adding these uh other uh, elements that can link unlink and then relink uh based on reapplying heat so as as these parts kind of fatigue through their life they're developing cracks or separating from um the 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 glue or uh, the uh the material bind the binding agent and they're looking at um using uh basically heat to reattach these elements so they can get a longer life out of it so it's including like a um uh you know a, a check cycle in their life um basically a service cycle which aerospace does that a lot right they they have these um maintenance cycles where they inspect everything and then they have a full teardown cycle so including those into these giant windmills or other large superstructures we uh fascinating luck so they're trying to turn it more into a circular life cycle so similar to it's awesome similar to like aluminum or any other metal where you know yeah there's tons of chips but i can take that back to the refractory and melt it down and use it for more material going forward yeah i need mean, to think about that every time well, at least i think about that every time i'm watching formula one <laughs> and i see one car collide with another yeah. and the front splitter just absolutely <laughs> vaporizes it's like so much carbon fiber well you know what you should Oof. they should they should do with those pieces right they should just sell it on ebay you can get a thousand dollars a would, piece <laughs> they would get so much money have you ever seen what like what like a, a retired like titanium or inconel exhaust valve sodium filled titanium exhaust valve from like some no name team that uh, didn't make it very far. And like somebody just buys it to put on like their desks and right. expecting people to know what that is. <laughs> and they'll pay like $10,000 oh for it. That's outrageous. You know? So yeah, Collective absolutely. Man. So before, yeah. before we wrap up and tell everybody to go, uh, read the tech report and look at uh, past episodes of the uh, podcast at amtonline.org slash resources. I do want to say that uh, form next is coming up in yep. Germany and there have been almost too many articles to even mention in the podcast and on the tech report um, relating to companies that are leaking their wares that they're going to show off that they're going to debut and release at these events like form next. And um, there's, there's just too many that like, but it's, it's really exciting to see all of these companies like leaking and, and, and previewing, giving sneak peeks of what they're going to show off at these events. And I think it's seemingly to attract audience to the event that wouldn't typically go because, you know, we're still in a pandemic and right. all, 
Um, but it's really cool to see that. And I hope that, uh, you know, Peter and them do this with IMTS because I, I think it could help a lot. I mean, I know that I'm got serious FOMO right now that I'm not going to form next <laughs> because there's so many articles coming out of these high speed 3d industrial grade 3d printers being released that have like, you know, multi nozzle or like 10 heads on them right. uh, and, and can do like conventional print in like one tenth of the time. It's really cool. There's a lot of stuff coming out about that right now. And they're going to be showing off uh, at form next, which I believe is next week, right? Yep. It is yeah, next, next week. week. And it is interesting. I feel like the pace of additive technologies has, is increasing quite a bit. So not only are they looking at like the physical side of it, like you said, this is add more heads. They'll solve problems, right? Or add more lasers. They'll solve uh, cycle time issues, but also on the um, uh, software side, you know, being able to do real-time inspection as they're printing the part um, at MT Forecaster is a, a additive company. I was looking at that's doing that now, where as it's printing, it's you know scanning uh, the the previous layer to see if there's faults and if they need to change anything in the next layer. So it's kind of a closed loop system. Uh, but yeah. also, you know, going further upstream is how do I design a part or how do I simulate the part so my design will go through the manufacturing process. So I've include design for manufacturing upstream and simulating that process. Uh, so, and, uh, Ampty has talked about that. We've done a couple of interviews with, uh, guys from Lawrence Livermore and, uh, Ansys about that. So it's some very, very cutting edge stuff that's, uh, uh, coming out of the additive community. Also, man, for sure. Form X in Germany. <laughs> what's, uh, what's your, uh, favorite spot you want to visit in, in Europe? Oh man. So I definitely in, in when I was going to go in 2020 and then obviously the pandemic canceled that on me. Um, I, you know, you and I talked about it. You were like, you were like, Steve, you can fly business class if it stays under this dollar amount. And then I got back to you or I, I immediately went to my computer cause I was so excited to uh, book my first international travel. And I'm looking at flights and I'm like, $11,000 and there's no way I'm going to fly business. And then I saw Formnex is like three days. Right. Who wants to spend only three days in Germany? And so I was like, okay, let me see what I do if I expand it to like spend a week, you know, five, seven, 10 days in, uh, in Germany. And as soon as like you expand it out to spend like 10 days in Germany, the price went down for a business class flight on United direct flight to from like 11,000 down to like $4,000 <laughs> round trip. So yeah. I immediately went back to you and was like, um, Hey, if I spend 10 days, it only costs this much. Can I do it? And you were like, no problem. You're saving so much money. Go talk to a meeting, see if they can book you a hotel for that long. And I was like, yes. And so what I'm trying to get at is, being that I was going to have that much extra time in form next 2020, um, I was actually going to rent a car on my own money and take it, drive uh, an hour and a half away from form next to visit the Nürburgring Nordschleife, the green hell yep. in uh, Germany, the world's biggest, not greatest, biggest racetrack, 12.9 miles of asphalt spaghetti in the mountains, the beautiful green mountains of Germany. And uh, I had even booked this. I was able to refund because of the pandemic, but I had even booked two laps in a Porsche 911 GT3 RS 
being driven by a professional race car driver that is guaranteed to get you around the track in under eight minutes or it's free. <laughs> and so I was, I, I had all this stuff booked and that's what I was really looking forward to. So yes, that is one of the places I want to go in Germany. I also want to go to, uh, in Europe, um, I want to go to Switzerland to mm-hmm. tour the Paddock Philippe Museum. Uh, but even more than that, honestly, I want to go to the Amalfi Coast of Italy mm-hmm. and just get drunk underneath a lemon tree <laughs> and, uh, you know, look at the water. That That's awesome. Because I was thinking about the same thing where what type of um, places I would like to visit. And we've been trying to plan uh, trips to Europe for a long time. Uh, it just never panned out. Uh, but I think I feel like I can I would like to go somewhere where I can just go to a hotel and just walk around the entire city. Just, I feel like there's enough. Yes. I enjoy just going to a, going to a foreign land and just walking around being a total tourist with the world's biggest camera around my neck and, you know, popping into shops, just taking a quick bite to eat and keep walking around and just enjoying the, um, the life and the atmosphere. And, you know, I would like to do more stuff outdoors, but I feel like the U S has so much to do in terms of, uh, outdoor life that, I really want to enjoy like the historic areas, the old buildings, the statues, the museums, just, just be a tourist in some of those lands. And I want to get to more like Eastern Europe also. I've been, um, uh, Germany, I've been to the UK quite a bit. I think getting to like Southern, uh, Europe and maybe Eastern Europe would be definitely interesting. I think that would be really cool. I highly recommend Scandinavia in the summer. It's amazing. You would not, yeah. you would not go wrong going there. Nice. I've seen some of your travel photos. They look yeah. awesome, but you know, it's a good time. Maybe next year, maybe next, year. maybe 2022 is the year. There's always year after that or next year or the following. Year. Yeah. <laughs> There's always time. But, but you know, to tie this back to form next, you know, AMT is going to be working a lot closer with form next this year. And, and, you know, Tim told me that we're going to have plenty of opportunity for uh, next year. So yep. 2022, you know, 2021, this form next is really to to keep up a, n- n- more than keep up appearances to but just to make sure that people are going to events and that events are coming back. But 2022 is going to be the year that things are really ramping up and it's going to be the year to go uh, for first timers to go to form next. So I'm really looking forward to it. And IMTS will be back. Absolutely. It's going to be awesome in Chicago. Walk around uh, right. Chicago with a giant camera on my neck and eating hot dogs. <laughs> my tourist. That's right. <laughs> Dude, I can't wait to have Portillo's again. That's going to be awesome. You know, they think they recently went public and I think they're trying to expand across the U.S. Oh, that could be fun. But our listeners can hear more about us and read more about us at amtonline.org slash resources. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs>